Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting solopreneurs share their startup stories. They also deliver tangible strategies that they would implement personally if starting their business over today. Each episode is a startup masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups, and my guest today is Maria Brito. Maria, thank you for joining us on Rising Tide. Hi, Kevin, and everyone who's listening. Uh, it's a pleasure being here. Thank you for having me, and I'm ready to roll with you. Well, I, I noticed just by our, our brief chat here, I mean, I noticed uh, what a Mississippi, Alabama accent here. Is that <laughs> is that about accurate? <laughs> no, I was born and raised in Venezuela. So I'm a Latin American woman who moved to the States 23 years ago. So I've been here for actually more, 24. I've been here half my life. All right. And um, what you're hearing is a mix of New York and uh, <laughs> Latino. A little Caracas and a little uh, Actually, yes. That's, <laughs> I was born and raised in Caracas, believe it or not. Um, I think of another time and era because that's a country that has literally ended by any, uh, yeah. <laughs> in itself. But yeah. That is, that's actually a, a really sad story to, to see. I mean, it could, I can, I can, uh, you know, look back in history and just see all the great things that, that, uh, you know, Venezuela was responsible for. And Hey, if nothing else, you have Dave Concepcion who played shortstop for the Cincinnati Reds. <laughs> <laughs> that's so a long. very, very interesting angle to think about. <laughs> the baseball players are usually really good or used to be anyway. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Well, uh, let me, let me start this, but just to get a little background. So if you and I were at a networking event, how would you introduce yourself to me? I'm an art advisor and I'm a curator and I also help companies and individuals develop their creative thinking for innovation, for reinvention and to profit from that, obviously, because we want to make sure that we are compensated but for our amazing ideas. But first and foremost, I am an art advisor, which means I build art collections for people around the world, and I make sure that I select things that gain financial value, just like any asset, and that fit their aesthetics, their ideas, their purpose, and uh, it's, it has to do a lot with financial planning. It has to do a lot with state planning, too, because art is a very, very strong asset oh, that grows sure. in value like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, but it's a very fun and interesting um, profession and, and business that I carved out and built uh, on my own because I used to be an attorney and I was a very miserable attorney. <laughs> and so I invented this whole thing for myself 13 years ago. And my company is industry leader nowadays. And, um, you know, I also took everything that I learned during this time to teach it to, to companies and people in the areas of leadership and creative thinking and you know, that's what we're talking today because I have a book coming up and a lot of fun things to share with the world. Well, we're, we're starting to dig down a little deeper and uh, talk about the book later, but I, I'm just really curious just about the art space as a whole and, and how, you know, the NFT kind of mm -hmm. the whole introduction of NFTs, it's not, it looks like it came from nowhere, you know, in the last 12 to 18 months, I'm sure it hasn't, but you know, somebody <laughs> in, in your industry, but what, how has that affected the kind of the art industry as a whole? It 
doesn't, it, I don't think it has affected it. If anything, it's just made it, it it's just ballooned the numbers even mm. more because when you add what transacts in all those websites every day, it adds billions and billions of dollars. Remember that it's like the barriers of entry are so low. Anybody yep. who has a computer and is willing to do a digital illustration and minted on the blockchain has an NFT, right? And so that person needs to find a buyer. And since we have millions of people with crypto and it's people got crypto 10 years ago for like, you know, 30 bucks mm -hmm. and now it's yeah. like a million, you know That's what exactly I mean? So, right. so then when you count on those, that, that type of commodity, if you will, because I don't see crypto as a currency, but it's an alternative. Um, then the NFTs really can go to the, the, the highest value without really having value, if you know what mm, I mean. I yeah. mean, it's, it's like, yeah. it's, an, it's a series of numbers that are written on the blockchain and the digital asset is a digital asset. I mean, that's it. Anybody can actually have that digital asset because it's just a picture or it is a little piece of an animation or it is a video. And uh, those things are just out in the world. I think that when you add the idea of, Gen Z who have basically developed themselves in the world of gaming and the internet in a much deeper way than millennials, the truth is, because technology is so commonplace yep. and so available. And so when th people are thinking along the lines of the metaverse and what is the future going to be, it's not that we're going to be living in chambers where like, I mean, like we have to eat, right? Like we, it's not that we're going to be living in chambers with like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and we're going to be wearing green, you know, costumes. No, I think it's, it's more that you have to think about the, the, where we are, right? And so where we are is that we have spent two years in a semi-isolation, if you will, because some people have, depends on the state. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> depends on the state. Uh, but in general, right? And so people have uh, been able to pivot into a, a virtual life where we can do what we're doing right now, which is very wonderful and helpful because we get to share and meet people all over the world. But we also have seen kids doing remote education, companies doing remote mm. uh, meetings. And so the metaverse and the NFTs are an extension of all that For when sure. the, the moment was ripe. And so things happened because it, you know, artists have been doing the NFTs for a while, but when one of them gets $69 million and is a, he's a relatively unknown person, not for the community that he was actually playing with, a community of crypto, community of people who love animations. So when Beeple, Beeple offers uh, to partner with Christie's, and you have to think about how smart it is from both parties, right? Christie's is one of the most blue chip, fabulous uh, auction house with mm -hmm. the most incredible machinery in marketing. And then you have this guy who's actually paying attention to everything that's happening. He's a graphic designer and illustrator who had gotten some traction doing animations for JLo and for mm -hmm. Justin Bieber. And then he's actually watching the market of crypto by far much more than he's watching the art market. He barely had any idea of what the art world meant yep. and then he's like and if i do this what could happen and it happened you know and so the the interesting thing that any entrepreneur can learn from this guy and also the move from christy but mostly from the artist is that 
when you're paying attention to in industries that are outside your industry, you're going to have a lot more success than when you're just the super mega expert mm. on what you do, right? Because you can do everything within your industry. You can read every publication. You can go to every conference, virtual and online and whatever. But everybody in your industry is doing that. This guy, what he was doing is like, he was in a different industry. He was in the industry of crypto. And now he is the third richest living artist. I mean, not richest, the, the, the artwork is the third most expensive work that has sold at auction from a living artist behind Jeff Koons and uh, David Hockney, who both of them have had like insanely long careers, retrospectives around the world in all the museums and whatnot, right? right? And some dude with an iPad over here just made $69 million because he was paying attention. I mean, I I love the statement you made about watching or getting outside of your vertical, you know, getting outside of your industry and how that is like a, that's a, that's a separator, you know, in, and that's a differentiator in this space for sure. You absolutely must. Otherwise, as I'm telling you, you're going to miss all the things that happen in the intersection of industries, all yep. the things that happen in the margins. And the reason why as an entrepreneur and business owner, and even in your career, you have to look at those spaces. It's because, uh, you know, you want to make sure that you can attract or bring those things to your own industry and adapt them, right? What can you do when you look at crypto? What can you do when you look at kids playing video games all day long, the way they do, and how, for example, games like Fortnite have revolutionized also the space of gaming because Mm. it's interactive. It's like, you know, like these children are having concerts on Fortnite, which is a similar thing to what the metaverse is proposing, right? And so you live with a skin and you have a name and, or, you know, like a nickname or whatever it is, right? Your avatar. And then you're playing with somebody who is in London and you're in New York City. I have kids. And so I know this for a fact, right? And you don't even know how those kids look like, but they have this kind of skin and this And so that's who they are. So the next day it's like, hey, it's like the Black Panther. That is the world that we live and we absolutely must not conform, but we must pay attention to everything that's happening and meet the world where it is because otherwise we're going to be left behind. And if you own a business, you don't want to be left behind. That uh, there's so much that you said in, in the last few minutes, just you know, kind of kind of freewheeling, you know, <laughs> in this whole space. But there are so many applications and, and cross applications of the things you said, because not only I mean, you, you advise people to get outside of the vertical, even in your discussion, you got outside of your own vertical. I mean, just because you right? talked about so many different <laughs> industries. But, oh, my God, I can't uh, help it. <laughs> hey, no, I, I think, I mean, that's the way you think. That's just the way you're, you're wired, you know, that God made you that way to think that way. And so I, I think that uh, the one thing that you, that you camped on, I promise I'll, I'll move on after this NFT question, yeah, but okay. so what I don't understand about NFTs, and I, I think our listeners would love to know too, I mean, this is an attorney speaking too, is, does it operate like a trademark or a copyright? How does, how do you protect digital well the 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 nft itself what it gives you is property rights but it doesn't give you copyrights because the image can be like for example let's go back to the example of people if you want to 
go to his website and download the whole thing for free, you can, right? And if you can project it on your wall if you want, you can print it and you know paste it on the wall, et cetera, et cetera, right? Whatever you wanna do with it. Now, what the NFT does is that it grants property rights to the guys who bought it and they can sell it anytime they want by using that NFT. Again, right, like the blockchain, they will, it's it's like, it's the ledger, right? So if I am the owner of a house and it's written in the property registry and whatever, and, I, and, and so every time I sell that house, somebody else will, I mean, I don't rip the house out of the floor. I go and I transfer the paperwork and it's all registered, right? And so that's what happens to an NFT, an NFT that is, uh, that is backing a digital artwork. So what happens is for artists, they now have the possibility of, programming let's say royalties so every time a piece is sold they get a percentage of that which is something that is revolutionary if you think about it because artists once they sell something they lose control over it forever the other thing that the nft brings is certain level of transparency on terms of ownership who owns this right like i'm sure you've like seen all those documentaries or read in the, the stories like sometimes very important artworks get lost, right? Like you don't, yep. not only they get stolen, that's not the story. It's like, you don't know who owns them anymore. Right. And what this would do is like, at least you will be able to trace which was the last transaction. So who owns it now, right? What the NFTs will do in the future though, is that once you buy a, a tangible piece of art, a painting, a sculpture and whatnot, it probably will be accompanied by an NFT that is just going to back that up as both authentication and traceability, and also the potential royalties that I'm telling you about. So once you want to sell that, there will be some sort of system that will say, you cannot sell it unless you also sell the NFT. That's one way of doing things. But other artists are just coming up with crazy ideas and saying, well, should you keep the real thing or should you keep the NFT? And so that's that's also a game that was done by Damien Hurst recently. He sold, I think, to he offered 2,000 works on paper of his famous dots and he uh, sold them accompanied by an NFT. But he said, in one year, I'm going to come back to you and you have to tell me if you want to keep the paper or if you want to keep the NFT. And one or the other is going to be destroyed because he's betting, he's actually getting data, but he's brilliant and he's betting on like, what is going to be of most value for these people? Is it going to be the NFT, which you know is going to be in the, on the ledger, or is it going to be the piece of paper that they can hang on their walls? So crazy. Yes, it's crazy, crazy. but it's fascinating at the same time. Oh, absolutely! Time. And I, I can tell you've spent a a great deal of time kind of diving into this. So I mean, you you just you're just riffing on <laughs> everything <laughs> that that you you know you're not even looking. You're not looking at notes. I mean, this is all coming out of you know your your mind right now. Just the you know, just and just experience, but um, I, there are so many places I could go right now, in so many different directions. <laughs> I mean, you have, you kind of laid out this beautiful mosaic of of opportunity here. But let's go. I'm, I'm just curious, just personally, just talk about your transition. You said I was a very unhappy attorney. Yeah, and you kind of recreated yourself and recreated an opportunity for yourself. So walk us through that, because so many of our listeners are thinking, you know, I'm stuck in a cubicle. I'm you know, I, I hate my job. I want to do something different. Walk us through that transition of kind of the recreation, the genesis of, you know, ideas and how to put them into practice and 
you know, just what, what's your story? What's the backstory? Yes. Thank you for asking the question. It's, uh, you know, it's also part of the reason why I wrote the book and it's also part of the reason why I wanted to share this ideas because uh, it's, it's, it all sort of happened at the same time, but we are going through the great resignation, as yeah. you know, and people are kind of uh, figuring out what to do after having to evaluate what's important in their lives. And I, as I told you, I grew up in Venezuela and I moved to the States and I followed the path of a dependable career and something that my parents planted inside of me that was not me. I wanted to be a performer and a singer and anything that was related to entertainment and things like that. And they were like, no. And it's, you know, a lot of children will say I want to be a singer or, but I had actually the talent and I was like in every contest I always won and why not? But when it sort of like became things that were a little bit more serious and I had all these bands asking me to go on tours with them and whatever, they were like, no, it's not going to happen. That's not for you. In this house, you're an attorney, a doctor or an engineer or something like decent, according to them, like that's a decent career, right? Safe. Right. Safe and decent. Um, Mm -hmm. So I ended up sort of like giving up on my dream and following what they thought. And also I said, like, look, I mean, whatever was the worst that can happen. Right. So so I uh, the worst that can happen is that you lose your life, basically. But I I uh, so I, I did that and I practiced law in New York in big law firms, corporate law firms. That's what I I mean big law firms that had corporate departments is what I did for about nine years. And I was incredibly sad and miserable because it was not for me. First of all, being an attorney is a really difficult thing because you get paid really well. And that means those law firms own you Mm. and you have to put in the hours because it's billable hours and there's nothing creative is very packaged. Everything is in a manual and you become a little bit of a slave of the partners and the clients who are paying an inordinate amount of money in billable hours. Right. And so millions and millions of dollars in, in lawyers fees. And so I, I was very sad seriously and, and like tired and, and I mean, like I don't really have words because like the worst state, right? And so I got pregnant with my first child and I was seriously thinking, even before I got pregnant, what am I going to do with my life? And so once uh, once he was born, I, I was like, I can't really leave this child alone forever. I can't also not teach him the value of being authentic and doing the things you like and you love. And so I, I you know, for a long time, I gathered my ideas. I sat very seriously with this thought and I took a lot of notes. I went very deep into meditation. I did all the things that I could have possibly done. I also explored what other careers could I just go mm. after. And honestly, there was no way I was going to be back in an office with a boss and stuff. And so I told my husband, look, I wrote a business plan for a business in the art world, and I'm going to be an art advisor and I'm going to be, he thought I was absolutely nuts, you know, and uh, he's like, well, um, I'm I'm sure uh, that your hormones are not all together, you know, and he was right. (laughs) Actually, look, I mean, he wasn't mean, he wasn't being a jerk. He wasn't judging. He actually expressed this with concern, right? Because also he he wanted to protect me from taking or making some like like 
moving forward and taking a stab that could have been potentially fatal, right? Mm. I mean, what if like I send everything to hell and then I was like, oh my God, I should have stayed, right? No. <laughs> so I so I did all that. I took my 401k, I, I quit I, and I hired a, like all the, all the things I had was like, I hired a web designer and I found a woman who was helping me with messaging communications and things like that, right? So this was all I had. And uh, I just run with it. I run with the idea. I run with the desire of making meaning, like being finding this, this purpose and to doing things that were important and gave me joy and excitement and like a desire to wake up every day and hustle. Right. And, and it worked out, man, it, it, it worked out. And, um, it, you know, I think it takes creativity. It takes courage. But every leader and every entrepreneur who succeeds is courageous and it's creative. And if it's that person is not creative or does not consider himself, himself, themselves, whatever, creative, I think that it's hard to actually leave a mark in this world because what the world needs and the people who actually succeed are those who can differentiate themselves and those who can offer things of value. And that means that you constantly have to be rethinking your strategy, shifting yourself. And so that is the story of my transition. And um, it's, again, it's, it's persistence and it is finding also those opportunities that I was, as, as I was an outsider, I was watching everything from the outside and I was paying attention to what was missing, paying attention to what people were not doing, paying attention to, and I don't know, you know, this is like a similar thought occurred to me, you know, have you ever been like in as, as an outsider of something, let's say mm. uh, you visit a hotel or a restaurant, you said, why nobody does this? Yeah. Or why is it like this is done like this? Or, you know, can they just train their people differently? I mean, so many thoughts occur to us all the time when we are visiting or experiencing something that is not our areas of expertise, right? What I did with this new business was exactly that. It's like, why are people in the art world not really capitalizing on the internet? Why are these people really so hermetic? Why are these people so snob? Why are they not teaching? Why are they not using, you know, blogs? And like, I, I, I saw so much potential of the things that we're not doing. They are so stern, they are so boring. Yet, you know, the art world is fascinating. Artists are fantastic. There is so much to be uh, learned. And there is so much to be seen, yet everything is so dry and, like everybody wears black. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, right? And I was like, no, no, no. This just, there's, these people are just like, they were giving a manual like I was given when I was an attorney, right? And they are not breaking it, but I am going to come and break all that. And you so I did. Advice. I mean, you just, you followed your own advice. I, you know, I can, you see that, that transition that as you were, you're saying, I was looking outside of my vertical. I saw the kind of the gaps in the market, the things that could be improved That's on. That's exactly and, what I did. You know, but for sure. But so I've got a, I got a question for you. So as you're speaking to our audience, as you're speaking to those that would want to make this transition. So it's, it's one thing to say that, you know, Hey, I have a spouse, I have a partner or whatever that is, that is kind of also providing income. So I can kind of, kind of take a little bit more of a leap of faith here, uh -huh. you know, versus speak to somebody that, 
you know, is in a, got, has those golden handcuffs that you described, you know, mm-hmm. sitting in a cube that wants to, wants to work somewhere else. That's a much diff, more difficult, you know, leap. If you're yes. leaping from a, you know, consistent salary, insurance benefits, all those things into yes. kind of the no man's land, you mm-hmm. know, or kind of the unknown. So speak to that specifically, um, you know, if you're speaking to somebody about taking that leap of faith. Look, uh, I'm sure you're aware of this statistic that in, since 2020 up until today, the amount of filings for new businesses in the United States grew about 30% or 25%, which yep. is a, a number that hasn't been seen since the 1940s. Mm-hmm. And why is that? World well, War II, yeah. Yeah. So why is that? I mean, there is dissatisfaction, obviously, or people have lost their jobs or people have find found out that they didn't want to be where they were. Right. That, mm-hmm. That's that's the but there is also something else. Capital is really cheap right now. Mm-hmm. And so I. Oh, yeah. But, you know, like this is, a, is something also occurred to me. Well, yes, capital is cheap. So you can actually get a loan right now or you can actually get investors and you can figure out what you want to do if you have a solid plan. I remember last year somebody told me, well, you know, we just did not apply for the PPR, whatever, you know, the payment protection because we were not going to get it anyway. And I said, well, how do you know that? Because all the people I know in small business got it. I didn't apply because my business is solid enough that I don't need that money, right? Mm-hmm. And I prefer, but like, well, because we just didn't bother. And I said, have you been paying your taxes? I have, you know, like I actually went and dig a little bit because when people come with excuses, they haven't even done the work, right? Yeah. So like, uh, well, but you know, you know how hard it is to get capital? <laughs> oh yes, I do know how hard it is to get capital, but do you have, have you done the work, the let work? Have you like checked on the requirements? Have you checked on the small business office mm-hmm. administration? Have you checked with your bank? How, you know, what are, I think that, and I hate to say this tackiness and cliche, but if there is a will, there is a way, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so- yep. I don't want to, I don't want to uh, minimize the anxieties that people who are in need of getting all these benefits and their paychecks, but I think that eventually being miserable in a job is going to show and you're never going to be as young as you are today. That's the the thing, right? Mm. Whether Whether you are 30 or you are 75, you're never going to be as young as you are today. So if you keep postponing that and pushing it for a better time, that is never going to come either. So massive action is one of the things that I, I and it's, it tr- trickles throughout the book, my book, is that it doesn't matter how many amazing ideas you have because ideas are a dime a dozen. And if you do not execute them and you don't work on them and you don't take action, you're never going to see anything happen in your life, right? And so I feel that if you are so concerned about the job that you have and losing all those things, well, you know, experiment a little bit with like consulting. I mean, is this something that you could potentially do on the side a little bit, right? In other areas that maybe it's your own area, but you just hate where you're working right now. So can you do a little bit of consulting uh, with other clients. Oh, but you know, how am I going to get there? And how am I going to tell them 
well is start talking to people. You know, like you have all these expertise that you have accumulated in this job or jobs that you've had. You, I'm sure, have a lot of transferable skills if you want. Like I had, right? I knew how to write. I knew how to read. I knew how to see. I need. So I, it, it was not rocket science. I wasn't going to operate brains either. I decided I wanted to work with aesthetics and art, and I had a very good eye for things. I, I love, you know, colors and shapes, and, and, and I happen to have a specific type of taste that resonated with the people, the clients who came to me too. Mm. So, but every beginning is hard. Everything takes time. Apple wasn't building today's, neither Amazon. None of those things just happened. Uh, I read something yesterday, Elon Musk say, said on Twitter, right? I, I worked, uh, you know, 16 years, 16 hours a day, 365 days and people say I'm lucky. <laughs> and, you know, and so the thing is, um, I know this, this things my son, I don't know. I, I just, I just hope people are kind of like following the thread, but I'm not saying that things are easy and that you're going to find a lot of ups and downs in any entrepreneurial path has a lot of downs and you have to kind of ride the wave the best way you can and have the ability to be nimble and have the conviction that you can figure out other ways, right? But I, I am telling you that without creativity, those things can't happen. And I think that it's, it's not a coincidence that LinkedIn scanned all the data of 800 million professionals and the number one skill that people are looking for is creativity. And it's they, the, the same professionals who are hiring people say is the hardest to find. Mm -hmm. And so the World Economic Forum also said it last year that creativity is the future proof of the future of, of I mean, is a future proof of your job. And um, IBM conducted this incredible study. It was many years ago, but IBM changes every year the focus of what they are trying to get. So they conducted the study in a 1600 or 1700 CEOs around the world and in very, very different industries and asked them, what is it that you need the most from people who work with you? And they said creativity over management, discipline, and integrity. So they don't care if you're integrity, if you have integrity, <laughs> as long as you have creativity. I think this was some of the things that you read and you're like, I can't believe I'm reading this. Yes, I, I was reading that. So consider yourself already to be creative and embrace that concept because as human beings, we are born extremely creative. We just unlearn it. And we just have to relearn it. We unlearn it because as we go through yeah. formal education and we have all these rules and we're imposed this amount of, um, you know, rules, regulations, uh, unquestionable theories. And then we are giving uh, our kids and ourselves, you know, standardized tests. And so how can you actually measure somebody's intelligence through a, like marking X's or filling in circles, right? With just one, just one answer is right. I mean, I get it is the way the system has been developed, but it's not accurate. And um, I think that, you know, we deserve better, honestly. Uh, and I also think that it's important for people to acknowledge that they are creative and that it's, it's within themselves. All that millions of dollars of ideas inside of each person that can come out in any way right now if they work on them. 
I am I am just sitting here trying to creatively figure out a way to wrap this bow together because there is so much here. <laughs> I mean, I'm just sitting here thinking, you know, we don't need a 30 minute interview with this lady. We need to sit down with a cup of coffee and let's let her let her un, unwind for. Oh, eight my God. I mean, my pleasure. So much that, that uh, <laughs> there's so much there that we, we just scratched the surface. So we're going to have to schedule some some repeat opportunities absolutely. for you to, absolutely. to come back but I, I there's so much here and and I, I we like I said we just scratched the surface but I I would be remiss if we didn't give you the opportunity to kind of talk about your book as we're closing shop here today and and uh, just tell people kind of what the basic framework is around the book and where they can find it and where the best place to connect with you yes so the book is called how creativity rules the world and the subtitle is The Art and Business of Turning Your Ideas into Gold. And so this is a book that it took me 13 years to write, basically, because it was from the time I transitioned as an attorney until right now. But it's, it is a very well-researched book where I combine history, neuroscience, psychology, concrete data, studies, et cetera, because I want to prove to people that they can be creative. And so I also want to prove to people that creativity is an amalgamation of skills and it's just not a God-given talent and it has nothing to do with artistic ability either. So whomever is listening to this and you're an accountant, you can be creative, you can save money to your firm, you can actually figure out ways of doing things faster and that is actually being creative. And so it's, it's available to all of us. We just have to work on certain skills consistently and this is the thing right you work on things that actually make you better the same thing that you if you go to the gym once a year it's not gonna get you fit right so it's it's like this is work but it's fun work because it's for your benefit and so the methodology that i developed is in it's basically structured in four different parts. It's like the first one is how to align yourself with the idea of creativity and how to debunk every limiting belief that you have learned so far. That, and, and, you know, I actually give science and psychology and, and research and studies that actually debunk all those myths. And then the second part is, is all the skills that people have to hone. And they are easy things, honestly, but people have to work on them. And the third part is uh, the, uh, you know, tools, the tools that you have to use on your day-to-day -day work to come up with those ideas and how to combine different ideas. And because also creativity is all, a lot about combining ideas that are disparate, that things that don't make much sense together. So, and the last part is about how to see the future is my favorite part of the book but you need to know the other first, the, the first three, to understand how to see the future and how to apply that to your business or career so that you're always two steps ahead of everybody. So don't start at the back and work backwards. So <laughs> read the roof in the yes, first and of the look, um, It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, Bookshop. Go to your independent bookstores and ask for it. I mean, we love to hear from people who, have been ordering and pre-ordering it from independent bookstores around the country because those are the lifeblood of you know the the the, the economy of of books and reading and, and the publishing industry. Um, so it, you know you can get it on Kindle. There is an audiobook, etc. It's it's everywhere where books are sold, massively distributed by HarperCollins. Thank you, HarperCollins. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, 
I think is, is going to be a joy for people to read because also it's timeless. And at the end of each chapter, there is an a bunch of exercises for people to practice what they learn on that chapter. So it's highly, highly actionable. It's not just theory. There's no theory, actually, as I'm saying. It's like a lot of storytelling, a lot of my own personal moves, um, how I built my company and how I branded it. And uh, I think it's, it's, it's really going to be extraordinarily helpful for people who are feeling stuck. And I that's one of my objectives. If you're already creative, it's going to help you. And if you're not, it's going to help you too. And they can find more about you at mariabrito.com, correct? That's right. That's right. That's where I am. Hey, thank you so much for taking time tonight. It's been a, it's been a real pleasure to, to engage and just uh, really hear your story. And I, I have had the pleasure of just sitting back and, and kind of listening to this on <laughs> why it's just it's been tremendous so thank, thank you, you for just playing your part of in helping all boats rise in a rising tide maria have a great evening thank you kevin take care and thank you everybody who's listening i appreciate the opportunity another episode in the books we hope you heard some great takeaways don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on itunes and youtube as always thanks for listening to rising tide